This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you love underground music and movies, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed shirts, vinyl, CDs, and more. Go to portlanddistro.com. Plug in the discount code MikeHill666 for 15% off at portlanddistro.com. Welcome to this week's episode of the Everything Went Black podcast. I have a really, really special episode for you guys. Big fan of weird fiction, as you all know, and my recent discovery of Cadabra Records brought me into contact with Chris Pozzone, who is one of the main composers at the label. And uh, the label is a narrative-based storytelling endeavor. It brings readings of classic weird fiction as well as new weird fiction by uh, classic authors as well as new authors. All, all set to these incredible scores uh, by Anima Morte. Uh, Chris has done a lot of the scoring and uh, some of the top readers in the field as well. We talk about a bunch of stuff. I had a great time and uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this. And uh, before we get rolling, I just want to shout out the fellow horsemen. Of course, I'm talking about Horror Wolf 666, brought to you by Brandon Legion on Mondays. Tuesdays, we've got Into the Necrosphere, brought to you by Jackie Smith. Wednesday is Everything Went Black. Thursday, Necro Thursday, is the Necromaniacs Horror Podcast, co-hosted by myself, Mike Scandato. Jeff Kashid. And on Sunday, the Lord's Day, Carl Hikara brings you Soul Knox for all things weird, macabre, and sinister. And I've been on a bunch of his episodes, so you can see me on there yapping along with uh, Carl and some of my other fellow horsemen, uh, you know, Jackie, Ralph, you know, Jeff, all those guys. We've all been on there. We all, we all are on each other's shows. It's a really cool little community we have. Also, I'd like to thank everyone who has supported the podcast on Patreon. If you are interested in becoming a Patreon subscriber for as little as $1 a month, you can support the podcast. $1 gives you access to all of the bonus material. And at this point, we've got bonus stuff coming out pretty much every week. We have whole shows such as Long Shadows and Hollywood Babylon, which exist only on the Patreon platform that you can check out. Also, at $5 a month, you get early access to all of the normal shows. So, for example, as you guys know, everything comes out on Wednesdays. But if you're a Patreon member, you get everything sometimes weeks in advance because uh, we do things pretty far in advance around here. And for $20 a month, that's the sponsor level. If you have a project, a business, a band, or something that you want to promote, I will give you a custom ad read. Similar to the Portland Distro ad read I do in the normal stream. And uh, all of these, uh, there's no strings attached, you know, hearkening back to the Craigslist days of NSA connections. <laughs> you guys can do it for a month or for all eternity. It's completely up to you. Also, if you guys are on social media, definitely uh, check us out. Um, there's Everything Went Black on Instagram and Facebook. There's my personal instagram and facebook uh you know you can check out 
a variety of different things. You know, pictures of my cat, Loki, um, coffee, <laughs> band things, uh, you know, stuff like martial arts, training, th- stuff like that. That's all on my personal account. And the Everything Went Black account is, uh, you know, all stuff about the show. Anyway, on to the episode. I was really looking forward to this conversation. I, I discovered Kadabra Records from listening to uh, the Lovecraft Ezine podcast. And I don't know mm-hmm. if, you've, if you've ever checked that one out. No, I, I you know, I, 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 I used to listen to more podcasts and um, I haven't been up on them as, as much of late. I, back in the day, I listened to like all these different things, but recently I've kind of dialed back what I listen right. to, but the Lovecraft uh, Ezine podcast, it's um, it focuses on literature, on uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's books. Every now and then they'll talk about a uh, film, and uh, but mostly it's about the work of Lovecraft and weird fiction, and they talk cool. about Thomas Ligotti and Clark Ashton yep. Smith and all the weird tale stuff, and, and also modern writers. And they when they mentioned Cadabra Records. And that you can get audio versions, like mm-hmm. scored readings of weird fiction. I was all in. So I went right oh, to, yeah. the, to the website and it was like, I think I bought like four things like at once. Nice. <laughs> so the founder is uh, Jonathan Dennison. He's delegated you to be the ambassador for uh, Cadabra Records. Yeah, you know, Jonathan Dennison is an absolute visionary. Um, working with him is such a pleasure and he's such an inspiring figure to work with. And he's just so full of forward thinking, avant-garde ideas that are things that have never been done before. So Jonathan and I have a similar background in the sense of, you know, loving horror films, horror literature and and, and soundtracks. And I know that he was really inspired by the wave of horror soundtracks that started getting issued around, you know, the early 2010s or so with um, Death Waltz specifically. And Death Waltz putting out a lot of Italian uh, horror soundtracks, such as Fabio Fritzi's Zombie and things of that nature. And, you know, through thinking about things like the spoken words label. Um, in the 60s, 70s, Cademan Records, he was very inspired to kind of up that format and bring it to a whole new level. So, you know, of course, there were a handful of titles, H.P. Lovecraft Records done, read by David McCallum, and also Vincent Price Records, reading Poe and things of that nature, though they didn't have soundtracks. So, you know, it was Jonathan's amazing vision to provide cinematic type soundtracks set to professionally voiced readings of classic and immortal weird fiction and horror fiction. Yeah. I would say that the label just in general is like a storytelling label, you know, cause like in, in addition to the spoken word stuff, the readings, uh, there's also books and uh, things like that. And um, you know, it's, it's focused on storytelling and, one of the interesting things is in the last, I would say, 10 years or so, maybe even longer, uh, people have really been enjoying like audio, you know, I guess first with uh, when you think about 
uh, audible.com and like ebooks and things like that people are listening to uh you know readings dramatizations things like that so for me to experience something like a uh, professionally done reading of a classic story with a film score underneath it it's almost like the most the, the logical next step to all this absolutely i i couldn't agree more and you know basically because it's also because it's only on the vinyl format in terms of these records that Jonathan puts out and Cadabra puts out, I would argue that it makes it an incredibly special and unique experience because you're setting that time aside to be all in and give it your full undivided attention, whether you're reading along or whether, you know, you're lying down on the floor with your eyes closed, just following the, the, the story and the soundtrack. You know, it's something that is very singular in respect to um, just really giving your undivided attention to these these weird fiction tales. And I know that Jonathan spends a great deal of time, everything from, you know, who is the perfect reader for particular authors? Who is the perfect person to do the soundtrack? Who is the perfect person to illustrate it and do the artwork for the album art? And, you know, it's, it's really trying to approach it from a vantage point of how do I make this already immortal piece of work? How do I immortalize it um, in the form of visual art, in the form of soundtracks, in the form of readings? And, you know, Jonathan comes to this with a, a very specific um, assortment of skill sets because he himself is an artist, is a visual artist and has been for a number of of years and and in recent time you can see a lot of his art um, for some of the Thomas Ligotti books that he has and will be putting out as part of Chiroptera, which is you know a subsidiary of Cadaver Records, um, specializing in books. And also he has a music background from the hardcore and, and metal scene. So you know he can really speak to to visual artists and he knows the language because he himself is a visual artist. He can speak to someone like me or Fabio Fritzi, um, because he knows what, what goes into putting compositions together and how the music process works and so on and so forth. Are, are you also involved in uh, the curation of some of this stuff as far as like how the, you know, the books and short stories are selected and things like that? Jonathan is definitely, you know, the, the, the primary person in charge and runs everything and makes all final decisions. But because we've been working so closely together, for a number of years now and have worked on so many projects, he's really receptive to ideas and we have a lot of common interests and, you know, turn each other, turn each other on to stuff all the time. So I've, I've gotten to pitch some things that have turned into records. So that's been a, a really amazing thing for me because, um, you know, some, some more obscure titles that most labels wouldn't touch Jonathan's all about because he wants to support, you know, strange kind of oddball titles. So that's been really amazing. Now, for you guys listening to this, um, I've been talking about this label uh, here and there over the, over a few episodes. And if you, you know, look at the Instagram account, uh, specifically my personal one, I pretty much post pictures of all the stuff that I've bought from these guys. And you'll see that it's it's a special sort of thing when you get the tactile 
version of this stuff in your hands it's you're you're holding something like something special it's like really great incredible artwork uh the production value the audio is top notch and the scoring is like perfect accompaniment to um to these these types of uh stories and um one of the things that i bought actually right off the bat was uh the small people by thomas legati which coincidentally uh you did the score for that yeah yeah so first off you know i'm so glad to hear that about the tactile experience because i know that that's you know something that's really important to jonathan and you know beyond being a record label it's a very boutique label because everything is done with the highest care and concern behind you know everything from the gatefold jacket such as the double lp of the small people to the material that's used for the inserts and so forth so yeah for you know it's it, thomas legati is kind of how i all i i got uh hooked up with jonathan in the first place because i went to a Fabio Fritzi show in Philadelphia where I was living at the time. And I had never met Jonathan. I exchanged a quick email or two with him asking him to bring some records. Um, I didn't know if he would bring some, some cadaver records beyond the Fabio Fritzi stuff. So, um, uh, basically I wanted to fill in some gaps in my collection and we got on to talking about Thomas Ligotti and Thomas Ligotti was kind of the entry point for me, into all weird fiction and horror fiction. You know, I had read some Edgar Allan Poe and Lovecraft, of course, as a teenager, but it wasn't really until I read Ligotti that I became incredibly immersed in the weird fiction and horror world. And then I, you know, went back and did digger deeps into uh, Poe, Lovecraft, and then, you know, eventually Chambers, Clark Ashton Smith, etc. cetera. And um, basically, uh, the small people is 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 a, a really wonderful double lp record and that was i believe if i'm if memory serves correct the third thomas legati record that i've done with uh jonathan and john paget and jason barnett does all of the art so another important thing to note is there's all these kinds of, of teams within the different releases so for instance like i've had the absolute amazing pleasure of working with John Paget on all of the Thomas Legati records to date that we've done. So, you know, John is always the voice of Thomas Legati on these records, and Jason Barnett has done all the artwork to date uh, for everything that's been released thus far. So, yeah, um, you know, it, it's it's really amazing. And, and on a on a music level, uh, it's one of those things where you, you mentioned it being cinematic, and I completely agree. And Unlike, say, some uh, audio books or audio recordings of stories, maybe it has 15-second intro of music and 15-second outro of music, and that's that for the music, or maybe there's some sound effects or something like that in between. But this has wall-to-wall -wall sound. So if it's an hour and 20-minute piece, uh, something like The Small People, you hear a soundtrack that you know, is striving to be as cinematic as possible from the beginning of the record to the end of the record um, throughout. And, you know, the the most extravagant uh, kind of big release that we've done in terms of that is H.P. Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness, which is a six LP set that goes for over five hours. That That's uh, incredible, the effort that goes into that. And I can speak to this because on um, the Everything Went Black uh, Patreon, I've actually, my own... 
meager attempts at doing this kind of thing. Like I can attest to how difficult it is to come up with a, a score to accompany a, a red, you know, um, audio track of a story, you know, and it's like, it's, it's a big, there's a lot of the scope of doing something like that, especially for, for you know, at the mountains of madness. That's a, you know, five hours of material is like pretty, pretty impressive, man. And also the fact that, um, the music itself doesn't overpower the uh, spoken part of the spoken component. You know, because it's like as a musician, you know, my 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 uh, sort of instinct would tell me to overplay in certain parts. You know what I mean? And uh, to be able to have the music rest underneath the spoken part, it's it's a discipline that that is uh, unique to composition for for a score like this. You know, totally. Yeah, you you hit it because you're. It's always kind of a tightrope walk where you, you want to serve the story and serve the reading first and foremost, but you also want to give it an enhanced energy that only music can bring to that. So, you know, you, you always wanted to... So I always think of it in terms of what is the spirit of this story and how is that spirit captured in the reading and then hitting all the beats to how it's read, the pacing of how it's read, and the content itself. So, you know, based on who the author is and who the reader is, et cetera, that really informs how I go about it. You know, for something like the Thomas Ligotti records, John Padgett is this amazing, at times kind of manic reader. So I can kind of dart around and have all these pulsations and, and have, you know, all of these different, um, different moments that have a real arc to them. And then um, with somebody like Lawrence Harvey, who does a lot of the kind of perverse and unusual records, like Edagawa Rampo, uh, for instance, um, you know, he has a very soft voice and it is very delicate and it, it captivates you and it sucks you in in a different way. So I have to write differently for that voice actor and for the material that he performs. And sometimes, you know, that's in the form of maybe more kind of uh, subtle folk music or um, or collage-based music. Like we did a record, Suspira de Profundis, uh, Lavana and Our Lady of Sorrows, which is the inspiration for Dario Argento's Suspiria. And that's by Thomas de Quincey. And, you know, for that, I talked to Jonathan, and I think he said something along the lines of, you know, think like Holy Mountain and the film Holy Mountain. And I knew exactly what he meant by that. And it's, it's interesting. I think Jonathan and I work a lot together and work so closely together because we can read each other's minds a lot. And we do very little talking about most of the, the work that I do with him. So we'll just kind of, you know, he'll, he'll give me a direction of maybe mention a film or maybe mention a, a score or something like that or an artist, a musical artist. And then I'll just kind of run with it. And with The Holy Mountain for Suspiria de Profundis, um, I was thinking collage and, you know, I wasn't thinking literally what is the Holy Mountain sound like? I know what the Holy Mountain sounds like. I love that soundtrack and I love uh, Don Cherry who contributed to it, the spiritual jazz artist. But, you know, I was thinking more in terms of collaging different styles and bringing in different forms of fragmented sound from different parts of the world. So for that, 
it, it you know, was a combination of playing instruments, playing synthesizers and kind of hand percussion that's heavily processed, but mixing that with a kind of fragmented style of, you know, highly manipulated string arrangements and um, even like medieval instruments that I don't have access to and processing them and uh, medieval chanting and wordless music and, and things like that, kind of all into this uh, hopefully hypnotic spell. Oh, that sounds amazing, man. Now, how much of it is um, tactile, actual instruments? How much is done with software? And how much of it is synthesizers? Because, I mean, there's you just what you just described to me sounds very diverse. And having access to certain instruments uh, would be very difficult, I imagine. Yeah, that goes back to the that goes back to the piece, you know, what's being worked on and um, what it calls for. So, you know, I I almost everything with with some exceptions um, is played by hand. So I'm pretty uh, old fashioned in respect to I don't do any sequencers. I don't do any soft synths. Everything that, that I play besides kind of collage style approach is um, is played is played by hand. So, you know, a lot of it is for acoustic and electric guitars, but also a whole array of synthesizers, everything from analog synthesizers to digital synthesizers, and also some, uh, you know, like world instrument, for lack of a better term. I play um, harmonium, Indian harmonium, which is kind of like a drone instrument, um, like, that, like an organ type sound. Uh, there's also a lot of um, Fender Rhodes electric piano on, on certain records. And uh, yeah, and, and also Dulcimer is on Arthur Mackin's The Great God Pan and, and Tambora as well, which is another kind of Indian drone instrument. So it, it really varies. And I try to keep it fresh and keep it varied. And, um, you know, when it comes to things that are not played by hand, that is most frequently kind of like backing textures and atmospherics. So, you know, I, I grew up... Um, listening to, to loads of records by tons of different types of, of artists. So, you know, hopefully you reach a point as an artist where you, everything kind of starts blending together and you're no longer striving for things. And it's more just kind of a natural bleeding of one thing into the next, if that makes any sense. Right. And, um, you know, when I started doing these soundtracks, I was already deep within my journey and adventure as a musician and as a, a, a lover of music and listening to records. So thankfully, you know, I was already feeling very comfortable within the different worlds that I like to occupy sonically. Earlier, you mentioned that Legati was your entry point into weird fiction. Um, now, that, that that's interesting because... He puts off a lot of people. You know, that's that's not the kind of writer that you could just be like, oh, yeah, check out Thomas Ligotti. You know what I mean? Sure. So how how did you become interested in him? And what was some of the work by him that you read that grabbed your interest? Yeah. So um, actually, um, basically, I became interested in him and found out about him. There was this um, distribution music label in in the UK called World Serpent Distribution that is long defunct. And they were putting out or distributing people such as uh, Coil, Nurse with Wound, etc. 
And they put out a, a compilation in, I want to say around 1997, called Terra Serpentis. And it was just like a cheap label sampler back in the day when labels would do that all the time. So you could discover more artists that they were distributing. And um, one of the artists was Current 93. Which oh, yeah. Is, yeah, like, you know, a, a folk hard group before that was a term that was used, but also, you know, collage, post-industrial music, et cetera. And even though I was listening to things like Nurse with Wound and Coil and Legendary Pink Dots, et cetera, a lot of post-industrial uh, British music, I hadn't heard of Current 93 somehow. And um, so the track was called The Frolic, or on that compilation, it might be called The Frolicking. So anyhow, um, that I found out very soon after, because I got the album that that alternate take was from, it was from um, All the Pretty Little Horses. And that had a number of tracks that Thomas Ligotti inspired or was even a part of. In, in one form, because his voice appears on that album. And anyhow, so that's how I found out about Thomas Ligotti. And I immediately got uh, an amazing collection that's very hard to find now, I, I think, called The Nightmare Factory. Yeah. And The Nightmare Factory kind of collects a lot of his work. I mean, in terms of like, you want a collection that you get out of the gate that blows your mind, The Nightmare Factory is just sheer brilliance throughout and um, touches upon everything from Nocturne to Teatro Grotesco and, um, the, the, and, and, and collections before that. So, you know, a lot of the stories that hit me the hardest were actually ones that, uh, since I've done records with, uh, with Jonathan and with John Padgett, um, these Legati records. So, you know, stories like The Bungalow House and stories like The Red Tower and uh, gas station carnivals. Um, you know, those were ones that just absolutely blew my mind, and I had never read anything like it. And, you know, you said earlier, which I think is, is very apt, that Thomas Ligotti is not for everyone. And I've, you know, I've heard, I've talked to people who just, it doesn't click with them for one reason or another. And I, I think that oftentimes it's because the, the stories, while they're so nuanced and, and so rich in so many ways, um, they're so suggestive and um, they, they don't tell linear stories in ways that people are used to. Uh, and, you know, Ligotti someone who's drawing from all kinds of, of literary works, you know, uh, a lot of European surrealism and philosophy and so forth. So, you know, for me, it's like Ligotti is this kind of drug, this kind of spell that he puts you under and you're just on this journey and it's 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 hallucinogenic. Whereas you're going through this, this landscape and you're transported into another world. It's a portal of sorts. And um, to go back to the origins of Ligotti for me, it's kind of funny because um, when, I was, when I was a teenager, so I was a teenager when I discovered Ligotti, and um, there wound up being a, a Current 93 performance in New York City. Uh, in 1999, a little bit after I, I discovered Ligotti through the Current 93 stuff. And anyhow, um, John Padgett, who has, is the voice of all these records, he um, was doing an opening set, and it was a ventriloquism set. And he was kind of making um, Ligotti references and jokes 
because he is a ventriloquist as well. And he's also an author of weird fiction. Yeah. And I didn't meet him at the time, but that performance really stayed with me. So it, it's funny how, how life works out sometimes because then I met Jonathan at this, this Fabio Fritzi show uh, in, in 2017. And uh, we just started talking Ligotti. And we just hit it off and talked mostly Ligotti the whole time. We talked about the label and Lovecraft as well, but, but mostly Ligotti. And uh, I shared some, some music with him just because we hit it off, not as a pitch or anything like that. I wasn't even I wasn't thinking along those lines at all. And he thankfully checked it out. And then uh, I told him I, I subscribed because he runs these great subscriptions where, you know, it's X amount of dollars and then you'll get 10 records in the, the course of the next six months, eight months, a year. And um, I had to support the label. I was already familiar with it, but I'd never been a subscriber. And I actually subscribed. What made me pull the trigger was he announced that he was doing the bungalow house. And that was going to be part of subscription three, I believe. Now he's up to uh, 12. And um, basically, uh, I was like, okay, I have to subscribe and support this label that's going to make a Thomas Ligotti record and so forth. And then a few weeks after I met him, he's, he said, you know, Chris, uh, do you want to give, your, give, your, give a try to scoring this? Um, said, of course, I said yes. And I immediately knew what it called for because I was, I, the bungalow house is something that I absolutely love as a story. And I wanted to kind of connect the emotional bits um, with acoustic instrumentation, such as piano compositions and uh, acoustic guitar and things like that, but then mix it with kind of atonality and dissonance and cosmic strangeness through synthesizers. So I kind of told him that was my vision right out of the gate and then attempted to do that. And he said, you know, why don't you try about 10 minutes and then we'll take it from there and and see if it works or not. And I kind of locked myself away for a few days, set up an immediate recording session, and I tried my hand at the entire nearly hour-long record in a day. And, wow. of course, it was just a rough draft, but I wanted to go above and beyond because it meant that much to me. And I, I gave him what was version one, the end of that session. It was an all-day session, and it was a crazy session. But I said, okay, here it is. I hope you like it. I, I wound up doing the whole thing. And of course it permutated and we worked very, since that was the first one we, we uh, worked on together, we worked very closely and there was many revisions and that was the first Ligotti record. So he wanted it to be absolutely perfect. So, you know, we went through the next few months, a lot of uh, revisions and, and, and so forth. But uh, yeah, I, I, I tried to, to, to tap into what the sonic vision was right out of, right away. That that's I get so excited hearing about all this stuff, man. I gotta be honest. I remember, <laughs> like even the process sounds so interesting. And I remember when I discovered the label when I first went to the website. How I was, it was like six thirty in the morning, and I was sitting in um, the office that I work in in, in New York City. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh yeah, I have to check out this Cadaver Records thing. And then when I saw all this stuff that was available, you know, and and of course Thomas Legati is. Not like I said, it's not really something for everybody. You know, it's it, you have a very specific taste to get in, into that kind of stuff. You know, and I I just I'm all in. I'm all in on on everything you guys are doing, man. It's so cool. Absolutely, man. Thank you. Um, you know, it's I I totally agree that like 
there's there's with Kadabra, it, it represents, you know, the, the labels that I really grew up loving and what I really got into. It wasn't just a, the project itself. It was going into a whole world where by going into that world, you are doing all of this research. You're learning all of these things. And I think Jonathan's real brilliance is um, being able to open up worlds to people that they may have never known about otherwise through the beauty of these records that he's producing. And he's supervising every single aspect of it. He's doing all the layouts. He's supervising the voice, the music, the art. You know, he's he has his hand in all of it. And it's so amazingly curated. And, you know, you're, you're entering this world where maybe you don't know about Thomas De Quincey. Maybe you don't know about Robert W. Chambers. You, you love Poe. You love Lovecraft. But, but, you know, there's this whole other world. Maybe you get into Arthur Mackin. Maybe you get into, um, you know, someone like um, uh, Clark Ashton Smith, et cetera. So, yeah, and, and uh, it, it's, it's a really wonderful thing to fall in love with a label and everything that it's doing. And then also you're learning all of these things along the way. What's interesting is that you you mentioned uh, John Paget and his uh, ventri- ventriloquism um, opening set, and that even that is like so such a mo- recurring theme in a lot of Legati's work. How you know we're marionettes being mm-hmm. manifest by this shadow force, you know that's not a soul that we're, there's no soul that inhabits your body. There's just like this underlying dark force that motivates us you know and i think just like subtle things like that um i don't know I, i'm not that familiar with john paget like the name it's something that's very much on the periphery i um i thought i'd actually met him but i was going through some of my notes and it wasn't him it was somebody else actually it was at the uh, necronomicon this past summer in providence but it was oh wow yeah. oh awesome yeah so um so john and i um actually did uh you know we've done a series uh, he, he's a great friend along with jonathan and um, we've done a series of live performances over over the years uh where you know in different unique places and we actually the first perform the first cadaver performance in the form of like performing an actual record from beginning to end we did the bungalow house um a few years back um at this place called the convent which uh, this amazing um visual artist jeremy hush who's done a lot of cadaver artwork um <laughs> he he has this amazing uh, uh art gallery that's also where he lives and it's called the convent and it's actually an old nun's convent in Philadelphia. And, um, anyway, he, he does all these amazing gallery shows and and whatnot, but, uh, we did a, a seated performance in the pews of this nun's convent and, uh, played all of the bungalow house. And John also did some of his work from his book, uh, his, his collection of short stories called The Secret of Ventriloquism. And speaking of, of Necronomicon, we, we wound up doing a, a kind of like a private show during Necronomicon this summer. And um, another cadaver artist that I wound up doing a public performance with kind of impromptu and sparked a new friendship. We had already done a record together uh, in collaboration with Pentagram Home Video. Um, 
uh, for Mr. James's the uh, Count Magnus. Oh, nice! But um, I reached out to Robert when I found out he was going to Necronomicon. I had never been before. I always wanted to go, and I, I was able to go at the very last minute. So I reached out to him and I said, "Oh, you know, I see you're you're doing Count Magnus. I, I know this is like a few days before, but would you want to do Count Magnus live? You know, etc." And um, for a variety of reasons, it didn't make sense to do it. But he said, you know, I'm working on um, Algernon Blackwood's The Willows. Mm -hmm. Would you be interested in potentially playing The Willows with me? So we met we met at a pub. And uh, the first night I got in, we talked over his edit, his abridgment of The Willows. I absolutely love that story. And, and strangely enough, you know, that's one of those things that Jonathan and I always wanted to do and we always said you know it would be so great to do the willows and um the, the only issue is like would it hold people's attention for the entire you know i think it would take two and a half hours or three hours and it's a pretty obscure story well so, i mean that's actually kind of if you were to make like a, a canon of weird fiction mm -hmm. you know, algernon blackwoods the willows as well as uh the went the wendigo i think would be yep. at the top of that list so it's as as a service to fans of weird fiction, I think you guys should should do something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, there, there's there's some exciting stuff in the works with that. So I'll say I'll say that much. And and we did the performance, the live performance. It went off great, and uh, people seemed to really enjoy it. So that was wonderful. And uh, yeah, so uh, he he's. He's he's working further on it as am I, and uh, yeah, so that's that's one of the exciting things in the pipeline. Now you mentioned that uh, Current ninety three has a track called Frolic or the Frolic. Yeah. All right, so now that is not. I mean, I'm I'm assuming that's uh, inspired by the Legati story, the Frolic. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not it's not um it's not a literary takeoff. It's I think it's just a nod. Yeah. That's interesting. That that's like uh, one of the more unsettling uh, stories I think that he's written. Yeah, well, that that's definitely I think a lot of people's entry entry point to Legati from from what I understand, and it's also part of his first collection, Songs of the Dead Dreamer. I think it's like the first story actually in that collection. So if you start oh, at the it? beginning, yeah, it's been a while. That yeah, so if you start at the beginning of the book, you're probably going to hit that that story as the first one you read. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I, I think I, if I remember correctly, I think Tom was saying something to the effect of, um, you know, after writing so many unusual, strange stories and maybe not connecting with people as much as he wanted to, you know, that was something that he thought might reel people in more than some of his other work. That story? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> That's uh, I I mean. For guys like me and you, I mean that that question is very is almost irrelevant because you and I both connect to his material. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's definitely something that uh, I think if you're reading um, more conventional fiction, uh, maybe maybe the narrative style would draw you in more. You know? Yeah, know. yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, I, I hope people pick up on as as much as as possible is all the humor. There's so much humor in in Thomas Ligotti's work, you know, a story like The Clown Puppet, the beef pork goat uh, repetition and, um, you know, this this constant back and forth to the nonsense and absurdity of existence. 
you know, it, it reminds me of uh, in different ways of, you know, somebody like a film director like David Cronenberg has a lot of humor in his dark and, and unusual surrealistic at times work. Um, yeah. So, so I really like that blending of kind of cosmic morbidity and, and um, dread, but also things that are really funny at times too. Now, I, I would have to agree, agree with you that there is quite a bit of humor. Uh, one, of, one of the defining stories, I think, that he's done is um, The Darkness, The Shadow, which really dovetails nicely with his uh, overall pessimistic philosophy, um, which you know, is expanded on in uh, Conspiracy Against the Human Race. You know, I think that particular story, if you wanted to like encapsulate what his philosophy about consciousness is or whatever you would read that story yeah well it's interesting you say that um in respect to um conspiracy because um chiroptera jonathan's book imprint um he's soon going to release um i mean it's already there's been a pre-sale and everything but he's soon going to release this absolutely amazing edition of tom's first new works in um quite some time, I want to say about 10 years uh, or 10 plus years in, in Pictures of Apocalypse, yeah. which is a poetry collection. And, um, you know, he, from what I understand, kind of sees it as an extension of conspiracy. And um, this book is is absolutely gorgeous. I believe there's still some, some copies available. I, I cannot recommend it enough. Um, Jonathan has done all of the illustrations and all of the art. So every single poem, I want to say there's like 26 poems or something along those lines, give or take. And every single poem has its own illustration. And it's just something incredible to behold. These works are, are really powerful and really potent. And um, Jonathan, I think, really tapped into a kind of suggestive, hypnotic quality of this series of poems that in one way or another, you know, deal with end times apocalypse in one way or another, et cetera. So, so yeah. And actually um, there's going to be a, a, a festival. I, I don't know if, if you saw this online or anything like that, but there's going to be a Cadabra festival first of its kind this summer called Nightlands. Yeah. And I saw that. We, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's going to be absolutely amazing. It's going to have long-term uh, cadaver readers and, and artists and, um, and, and uh, musicians there from all over. And the op there's an opening night event that's more an intimate event, and that's going to be a Pictures of Apocalypse book and record release. So um, the, 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 And Jonathan is going to bring some of his original art and it's going to go up on the walls and things like that. So that's actually at a that's at a very intimate setting um, at Book Restoration Bindery in Haddonfield, New Jersey. And um, I actually happen to live right in the area, so um, it's, it's it's pretty awesome to have this cool event right in town. And um, yeah, so so John and I will be performing um, all of Pictures of Apocalypse and Matthew M. Bartlett the writer and cadaver reader will also be there as well and we'll be performing something together. 
The tickets haven't gone on sale for that yet because I was planning on going to that event, actually. Oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, no, no, they haven't. They haven't. Um, I, I think there'll, there'll be like a general sale um, for Nightlands itself um, uh, the, either the end of February or the beginning of March. So I'm not sure when this is going to air, but um, but basically, it, it, I think the general sale is either end of end of February or beginning of March. But the the event itself is is uh, two full days. So what I was talking about with pictures, that's just going to be an, an evening one-off kind of a, a lead-in party event that goes into the festival itself. And the festival itself, uh, Nightlands, will be. Um, will be the main days are june 2nd and june 3rd whereas the pictures is june 1st and those are full days so those will be those will be full-on performances with like i said with a lot of the different readers of cadabra and musicians and visual artists all being there in one place in hamilton new jersey at this this place called cathedral that i went to with jonathan that is um it's an it's a former church and it's all kind of by itself, like almost like uh, it's on this ground with nothing else in view. So it's just in this field and it feels almost like you're entering some kind of cult space. So I think it's going to be a, a really fantastic uh, setting and, and experience for, for cadaver fans. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, I, I live in central Jersey. So, um, so, yeah, it's only about an hour and a half or so from where I live. Oh, cool! Yeah, I, I grew up in Central Jersey. Both both my parents are originally from from Brooklyn, and uh, I originally was from New York City. But then most of my formative years, I was in I was in Lawrenceville, right next to Princeton. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, pretty much the same trajectory I had after spending you know decades living in Brooklyn. I ended up relocating out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I lived as an adult. I lived in New York City for about ten years. And then I was in Philly for a bit, and now, now I'm in South Jersey. So yeah, yeah, um, that's not too far from Philly, actually. I think Haddonfield's like almost, almost like a suburb of Philly, really. It, yeah, it's like fifteen minutes. Yeah. So um, you know, it, it's it's very quick access, and you know, yeah, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump away. Now you mentioned Jeremy Hush. I've actually known him for. I would say close to maybe 15 years at this point. Um, he's an incredible artist, man. Absolutely. Not only an incredible artist, but an incredible human being. I mean, he's just a, a really wonderful person. And that's, that's another thing about Kadabra is I've just met so many amazing people through the label because Jonathan just has this knack at, at uh, working with really, really wonderful individuals who happen to be insanely talented as well. And I know Jeremy, you know, he's someone who's so humble and um, is so immensely talented. And he's also so immensely supportive of, of fellow artists within that kind of horror world of sorts. Um, so, you know, he really showcases a lot of incredible artists uh, at the convent. So that's really cool. And um, yeah, so... You know, uh, the, the roster of, of visual artists is just insane. You know, Karmazid is someone who just does completely hallucinatory works and um, is able to really tap into, um, you know, putting his mark on the Lovecraft canon, let's say. So, you know, obviously there's been so many visual attempts 
of Lovecraft over the years. And, you know, his work is basically like picking up where Vir Virgil Finlay left off in respect to making a real mark. And I know, you know, he's, he's of course best known as kind of doing like black metal uh, yeah. art for, for an assortment of, but you know, what he does for the label is just like a perfect match. And he's also done the Arthur Mackin uh, cover art, which is equally phenomenal. And yeah, and then like Jeremy works really closely on all of the, the Fabio Fritzi releases. So they got off together working right off, right off, um, right away on pictures, the pictures of the house. Um, and that was the first, uh, Fabio Fritzi record. And, um, and Jeremy just did, uh, absolutely breathtaking art for that. And I, I think that more or less, you know, maybe give or take one or two Fritzi titles, cause Jonathan has released so many brilliant works by Fabio Fritzi over, over the years now. Um, that, uh, you know, Jeremy has, has been doing the bulk of the Fritzy art. Um, so it's been really cool to see uh, that pairing, another, another wonderful pairing that you get to see evolve over time through the label. Also, uh, Joe Kineberger, he's a guy that I've known since I met Joe in like 1995 or something like that, man. I used to live in Boston for a while, and that's where Joe oh, and I nice. met. Yeah. Yeah, actually, um, uh, over the the summer, um, I had met him before, actually, uh, in relation to a convent exhibit he had. So I'd met him with Jonathan and Jeremy a few years ago when he was doing a, a, a convent show. But then just over the summer, um, I was hanging out with Joe and Jonathan. Um, uh, at, uh, there was a Fabio Fritzi Coolidge show where Fabio was receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award and um, playing a, a Fritzy to Fulci set, and then also doing, um, there was a screening of Zombie. And uh, anyhow, uh, got to hang out with Joe that day, and yeah, just what a, what a wonderful guy, and what an immensely talented guy. So uh, it's, it's so cool to see the work that he's done for Cadabra as well. On that first exploration of the site, uh, you know, I was going through all the records, and then I was like, oh, you guys have books too. So, and as soon as I, I saw the, um, you know, the cover for At the Mountains of Madness, I was like, oh, that looks just like Joe Kahnberger's artwork. And sure enough, it was him and uh, added it to my cart. And now I have, uh, I'm an owner of uh, a volume of that, that material. It's great. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, another, that brings up another really cool thing with uh, Cadabra. You know, now, as far as I understand, like everything that Jonathan is doing book wise is, um, is under Chiroc Terra. So, you know, as I was saying, like he has that Pictures of Apocalypse Ligotti book. Yeah. There's also, he's also going to be uh, re-releasing um, Nocturne with the bonus, very hard to find the Spectral Link by Ligotti. So that's going to be a collection that comes out in the, in 2023. But he's also releasing the, the autobiography of Fabio Fritzi oh. uh, called, called Backstage and Beyond, uh, which tells his whole life story and working with, Lucio Fulci and on the Beyond, City of the Living Dead, a Zombie, etc. And um, so, but but yeah, to go back to um, what you were saying with with Mounds of Madness, um, it's really cool because um, with a lot of these these books and records, you get different interpretations. So you get to see how different visionary artists get to interpret the same stories from different vantage points. Because there'll be works such as um, like I believe, if I'm if I remember correctly, Joe Kineberger 
did a beautiful version of the color out of space um, for what was at the time a series called Cadabra Illustrated, where it's a book that is a reprinting of, you know, say a Lovecraft tale or a Ligotti tale or whomever. And then it gets its own little touch by illustrations that are done throughout the book. So Joe did color out of space for the Cadabra Illustrated book. And then the record is another masterpiece by Karmazin. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, Joe has a very distinctive style, too. It's very identifiable. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's so connected to that Halloween spirit. Um, I'm actually looking at an original art right now that's, that's in my home that Joe did of a kind of Cthulhu creature. And he's just so talented at capturing that, that Halloween, that October feeling. It just everything that he does permeates that space. It's, it's really wonderful. One of the things I saw on the site was uh, Cadabra Illustrated, like a chapbook. Is that, is that part of a series that you guys uh, publish? Yeah, yeah. So, so that it, I think it's I think it's it's for now. I don't know if it's on hold or defunct as of now. I'm not sure. But um, there was at least ten, if not more, Cadabra Illustrated, and that's when you know it's um, there's like there's very limited hardcover editions, and then there's softcover editions that have they're still small prints but larger numbers, and you know they're just like the records. They're really something to behold they're really boutique the highest quality of um, paper stock and binding and things like that and yeah so there's been um different different cadaver artists like matt joffe has done some cadaver illustrated joe kineberger uh jonathan himself has done like he did the small people and yeah it's a really really wonderful series and there's there's like so there's the kind of like micro editions as well of, of different colored versions and so on and so forth. So collectors uh, can really go wild trying to track these things down. Oh yeah. Actually this, all of this stuff is a collector's dream or nightmare, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, yeah, this stuff is very collectible and it's um, it's also the kind of thing that like, it just looks good in your record collection too. You know what I mean? I, you know, it's, uh, yeah, a hundred percent. And it's one of those crazy things. Like I remember getting my, my artist copy of the bungalow house. And I remember saying to my wife, Julia and friends and, you know, whomever at the time, you know, you get a record that you worked on that is so beautiful. And, you know, I've, I've been a record collector basically my entire life and I have thousands of records and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, to to hold these things and to go through them the booklets the gatefold jackets the quality of vinyl um just every single thing about it jonathan puts the utmost care and concern into and they're they're works of art so not only are they absolutely stunning experiences to to go into but they're also fetish objects yeah and totally. you know clearly clearly you're going to get collectors that, you know, that might be why they started getting into it because they're such beautiful objects. And then they're turned on to this whole other world that maybe they vaguely knew existed or maybe didn't get deeply into until they got hooked on Cadabra. Another artist that you guys turned me on to is Anima Morte, uh, the band. Totally. And, and uh, 
you know, any any of you guys out there who are listening to this, uh, definitely check out Anima Morte. They've scored some of the material that was released by Cadabra, but they're they're a um, progressive band. Uh, if you're into like zombie, maybe some of the John Carpenter stuff, uh, I it's in roughly in that vein. You know what I mean? There's there's like elements of that, elements of King Crimson, elements of uh, you know, yes, maybe like stuff like that. Um, a Tangerine Dream, like all that kind of stuff, all smashed together, and uh, very technical, very technically proficient music. Completely. And, you know, between Fabio Fritzi and Adam Amorte, they have taken this soundtrack, soundtrack to readings to a whole other level. I mean, those the musicianship is just absolutely sick. And like you said, you know, they have all of these progressive rock elements in Adam Amorte. And when they did the Dagon record, which I believe is the first record that they did for the label, um, you know, it, naturally it just blew people away. And then they went on to do uh, The Call of Cthulhu, the second edition of The Call of Cthulhu, and just did an absolutely mesmerizing, pulsating edition of Call of Cthulhu. And, you know, I learned a lot as a composer, you know, listening to the Anime Mor Anima Morte compositions because there's this, there's this vibrant nature to the scores where it just keeps you going and it keeps everything electrified and exciting uh, while still full of dread. And, um, you know, trying to tap into that kind of sonic space is really inspiring and, and taught me a lot as a composer. And um, then in terms of Fabio Fritzi, I mean, he's the maestro. He's just absolutely legendary. So I know Jonathan and I are, you know, lifelong Fabio Fritzi fans and, um, you know, for Jonathan to get to work with him so closely on such a variety of amazing projects has just been completely astounding. And the fact that, that I've got to, through Jonathan uh, and the label, you know, like got to hang out with, with Fabio and his band for a bit last year and kind of hang out with them and go to the, the Coolidge show and everything. I mean, it was just like a dream come true because beyond the um, just enormous talent, uh, just he's a really, really wonderful guy and his band, all of his bandmates are just incredible. And uh, yeah, yeah, so again, it just goes back to working with really great people who are also, you know, in their own world in terms of talents. You know, that, you know I know Jonathan and I both kind of grew up listening to City of Living Dead, uh, The Beyond, and uh zombie and, and so on and so forth yeah that that's killer man to be able to work with a, a, you know a master like fritzy you know it's incredible i, yeah, I actually totally. went on a deep dive with uh anima mortes they have i think they have two full-length records out as well and uh, yeah at least at yeah. least I, I i i've lost track but i know that I, I know they have some eps so maybe even more than that at this point yeah and, and actually, Jonathan put out earlier this year, um, like a, a, a non-soundtrack album by them, which oh. is which is um, just instrumental music. And it's it's absolutely incredible. If you haven't heard it yet, definitely check it out. Um, I believe it's called Serpents in the Field of Sleep. And uh, it's basically like, you know, if you love Goblin, you love Fritzy, but you also love like Vandergraaf Generator 
and a lot of key uh, prog rock stuff, King Crimson, like stuff you mentioned earlier. Um, and you want like an updated, unique take on that that leaves its own mark. Yeah, check out Serpents in the Field, um, which, which came out last year. It is absolutely beautiful and stunning record. Yeah, I'm a new fan, definitely. I, I uh, There's a, a mini documentary on YouTube about the making of one of their records, which I just spent some time watching recently, and uh, it's really cool. Awesome. Yeah, it is. I just checked it out. It is called Serpents in the Field of Sleep, Fields of Sleep, plural. Um, I'm, I'm curious, Mike, um, uh, I don't know how long you've been in Jersey, but are you, are you familiar with Exhumed Films by chance? I'm not. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just cause I, you know, I growing up in Jersey, it was a really incredible experience um, making trips down to South Jersey and to Philly because exhumed has been a nonprofit film outfit since the, the late nineties. Um, actually, I think a little earlier, like 96, 97. And they kind of specialized before repertory cinema became really big and, you know, places like New York city, LA, now they play horror films on 35 millimeter all the time. And it's, you know, something that's been going on forever, but they kind of started that, that wave of let's play Euro horror on 35 millimeter. So it's kind of insane. Like when I was growing up in a teenager, I would make trips down to exhumed films shows. And, you know, like the first time I ever saw Suspiria was a 35 millimeter print. The first time I saw some of the Fulci films, it was, you know, an archival print. So to see that in a theater and that's kind of your intro to uh, Euro horror, it was just absolutely mind-blowing. Now, I've been living here for, um, and just at the tail end of my third year. So, uh, you know, and some of that time was spent during uh, the pandemic. So a lot of that, you know, there was nothing really going on. So does this place still exist? Is it still active? So, so they don't have a, um, a regular theater yet. Actually, um, I, don't, I don't know the progress of it. But um, Harry Guerra, who's, who's kind of the person who has amassed this insane film print collection, he's, I believe, if, if the plan is still on, he's going to have a proper place of his own called The Space, oh, which nice. will be a place to, to and it's going to be right near where I live in South Jersey, uh, in a town called Mount Ephraim. And actually, Mount Ephraim was where I went to the first Exhumed shows in the late 90s. But they've kind of had theaters. They've worked with theaters all over the place. So they've worked with um, uh, International House, which became Lightbox Film Center in Philly. Yeah. Um, they've worked with um, with uh, Philomoca, kind of like punk rock DIY venue in Philly. And um, they've they've worked uh, with this place in the Phoenix in Phoenixville, uh, PA. That I'm forgetting the name, the Colonial. Um, and actually, like they put on these crazy uh, marathon events that are 24 hour film events uh, once a year. Um, and they've done, geez, I don't remember how many of them now, maybe 14 or 15. Um, and um, yeah, I've actually been to every single one of them. And believe it or not. And anyway, uh, so they, they, they play classic horror films, obscure horror films, everything in between weird experimental stuff, everything. And um yeah, so so they they're kind of like an institution at this point. And if you if you ever go to the Lee Heighton area, the Mahoning Drive-in, which oh really yeah. Became, yeah, yeah. So they they do a lot of stuff with Mahoning and and did more and more you know during the the lockdown times where that was like the only way to see thirty five millimeter prints uh, is out in the fields at the Mahoning. Oh, I've been there for sure. I, I went there um, 
this year for the first time. Well, not this year, 2022. Nice. uh, Towards the end of the season, I ended up going. A good friend of mine who might be listening to this, actually, uh, Alex Rosen, um, excellent guitar player, played in a bunch of bands around here. Uh, He's the one who told me about the place. He knows some of the people that run it. So the time that I went, and it's only been that one time, they gave me a tour of the facility and uh, cool. such a great place, man. It's such an incredible thing to do if you want to camp out, watch like old movies and uh, old horror films, you know, exploitation films, that sort of thing. And just like the overall like punk rock vibe of that place is so great. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I love the time warp element. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm 42 years old, so I wasn't going to horror films when I was, you know, seven, eight years old in the 80s. But um, um, but basically you feel transported into another world uh, when you go there. It's like time has shut off and all of a sudden you feel like like you're in the 80s, basically, because of how they set that place up. And uh, it's an amazing experience. Did you see the uh, documentary uh, about Mahoney? Yeah, I did. I, th- I thought it was pretty moving. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, the, the story of, I, I don't remember the gentleman's name, but that's been there for decades. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, I really enjoyed that documentary. Yeah, I, I picked up a copy of it on a DVD uh, when I was out there. It was really cool. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Definitely. Well, Chris, thanks a lot, man. This is great. And like I said, I was really looking forward to uh, our conversation. And, uh, so for everyone else out there, can you give us like a preview of some of the stuff that's been announced that's coming out? Oh, yeah, sure. So um, basically, um, so so first and foremost, um, the Nightlands Festival that I mentioned, the primary days are June 2nd and June 3rd. So that's going to be in Hamilton, New Jersey at this place called Cathedral. And the Cathedral is with a K, not a C. And um, so please come to that because this is a massive endeavor. So much is going into this. So, you know, really hope that people come out and have a wonderful time. It's going to be there's never been anything like it. You know, this is um, if this succeeds, this will be something that is in between the, the off years for Necronomicon. So this is kind of filling a void in a space since Necronomicon is every other year. This will be on the off years of Necronomicon in Providence, Rhode Island. So there's going to be this amazing festival where you'll get to experience Cadabra Records live. And a lot of the, the greatest works uh, from the from the label will be performed live in this beautiful uh, old uh, former church. Um, and and then the, the January, or sorry, June 1st is um, that more intimate gathering in Haddonfield, New Jersey at the Book, book, rest, book Restoration Bindery that uh, Dominique uh, Lessy uh, owns, which is a really great uh, book restoration place and also a bookstore as well. And um, anyhow, uh, so, so on the record front, there I know the upcoming titles, there's an absolutely massive Fabio Fritzi title coming up, which is um, Lucio Fulci's Zombie, done by Fabio Fritzi. And like he did with the Beyond Composer's Cut a few years ago with Cadabra, where he kind of looked back at the, the beyond and then made tweaks and additions. And like you have a director's cut of a film, he did his composer's cut, retweaking his score and adding to it, et cetera. He's, he has done the same thing with Zombie. 
So there's going to be, it's basically going to be like experiencing zombie in a brand new way. So that is a massively exciting record that's coming out this summer. Um, and uh, another record that's coming out this summer is going to be um, uh, the second Arthur Mackin record that the amazing voice actor Lawrence R. Harvey read. I did the score for that, and uh, that will that will be um, the White People, and it's a double LP set. Karmazid did absolutely jaw dropping art for it. I can't wait till Jonathan is able to tease that out. Um, and yeah, and then we're right around the corner of a brand new subscription. So there'll be a whole other series of titles announced. Um, and one of one of those, because it's already been announced, I can say it, is going to be a record version of the the brand new Thomas Ligotti poetry series, Pictures of Apocalypse, that John Paget uh, reads all the poems for. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of exciting stuff in the pipeline. And then with Chiroptera, um, the Pictures of Apocalypse is imminently coming out, the book that Jonathan beautifully illustrated, and then the Fabio Fritzi autobiography, um, and then also um, Nocturne and the Spectral Link will be reissued by Chiroptera um, together, which they've never been together before. Nocturne and the Spectral Link are very pricey if you go to the secondhand market to get those Ligotti books, so this will be a brand new way to get them together for the first time. Yeah, I only have those on Kindle. I don't even have a hard copy of those uh, Spectral Link and uh, Nocturne, you know, the the other uh, title. Yeah, no, they're 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 very hard to come by at this point. Um, I think the last issue of um, of well of both books was was put out by Subterranean, and they're very pricey to get at this point. And I, I have my pre order in for the the Legati poetry book, so hopefully that you know looking for looking forward to that one. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, I think you're going to really enjoy it. Um, you know, it, it, like I said, it kind of picks up where conspiracy left off, but then, you know, from a, from a poetry angle. So, uh, yeah, there, there's just so much uh, brilliance within those poems and Jonathan's suggestive interpretations of visualizing them. Awesome. Well, that's a lot of great stuff coming out. And um you know, once again, Chris, thanks a lot for uh, sitting with me on this. And uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you so much, Mike. It's been an absolute pleasure.